You're tuning into Edinburgh Chi Alpha's TNL, a place for community and growing deeper in your faith. Join us each week as two people sit down to discuss difficult questions found in Scripture. This is Q&A with Jesus. What is up, everybody? Hey, friends. Hi. You got Ryan and I here tonight. Um, obviously, we are not Jesus. The Q&A is with Jesus, though. Already so. <laughs> so don't be disappointed. It's going to be it's going to be a fun time. So um, really excited to, to see you all again. Really excited to be going through this series. Um, we hope that the series is like showed you guys that uh, Jesus isn't afraid of your challenging questions. And so um, neither are we. And this is why we're going through it is because we definitely believe that uh, this is still relevant. And so, uh, yeah, going to hop in pretty quick. That's kind of what we got. And so to kick off the night, we are actually going to be going to uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 17. So if you have your Bible, if you have your phone and you want to pull it out, um, we are going to kick it off there. Mark chapter 10, verses 17. And... Um, just to give you a little context of what is going on, uh, Jesus and his apostle of disciples are um, on a journey. And so they are going and Jesus is basically being uh, asked a bunch of questions through his journey. And so at this point, um, we are reading about a man who um, also wanted to know uh, and asked Jesus a question. And so he... Um, ran up and asked him a question, but got a completely different answer than what he intended. But I'm not going to lie. Uh, he's definitely not the only one, right? Uh, I'm not usually always ready for the answer that Jesus gives <laughs> when I bring things to him either. Um, I mean, how many times have we been praying and asked God something and he answers and we're like, what? <laughs> I wasn't ready for that. It's like an all the time thing, dude. Like You know, it's just like, I thought... No? Okay. I wasn't ready. <laughs> I know for myself, one of the times was uh, uh, when I was praying and I had like a world map up and then I had a United States map up. These things were like massive on my wall. Um, and uh, I was praying and I was like, God, where do you want me to go? And uh, I'm looking at a world map and the Lord picked West Virginia I'm looking at a world map and the Lord's like West Virginia. Now I just wasn't expecting that. You know what I mean? And so um, I looked at that and I said, God knows. And the goodness of God always knows what we need. Mm. And uh, God knows what you need. God knows what I need. And he also knows uh, the things that we need and the things that we value. And so uh Sometimes we can even see in other people's lives, the things that we value. So we kind of had this on social media this week, and we wanted to talk about um, a, a little bit of, of our culture's values. So uh, in the chat, could you share what you think our American culture values the most? Put it down in the chat. What do you think? Ooh, status. That's good. America, hard. the American culture values hard work, individuality, fame, and popularity. Yeah. 
than 2.5 kids in white picket fence. Right, mm-hmm. Ryan? <laughs> Strong independence. Mm-hmm. Individualism. Okay. And individualism, belonging. Wow. Mm. Some solid yeah. answers. Yeah, those are pretty accurate, but I'm also not surprised because we are all American. So, (laughs) uh, you know, we we have that, yeah, independence. We have that front row seat. And so um, there's no issue with having values, right? Those those values are all super, super neutral. However, when we place those at the center of, of our lives and we form our life around that, that is what we consider to be um, the concept of an idol. Because where that throne in our life is, where the center of our life is, has now been usurped, where Jesus deserves to sit and has been designed to sit on. And now we've placed something else there. And so this is kind of a little bit of what we're talking about tonight. So as we hop into scripture, we see that this man that runs up to Jesus, um, for those of you who've grown up in church, you've heard this uh, phrase plenty of times, the rich young ruler. And he runs up and he sits at Jesus's feet and asks him a question. So I wanted to ask you guys a quick question. If you could either be rich, young until you die, or a ruler for the rest of your life, drop in the chat what you would choose. If you could be rich, young until you die, or a ruler. Rich. Rich. Mm-hmm. What would you pick, Ryan? I'd probably say young because it's like you don't have as much responsibility. You can pretty much do what you want as a mm. kid, and it's acceptable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of rich, young, young and beautiful. Classic beautiful, okay. Okay, I see that. I feel like this is like a genie trick, and then he like turns you into like a five-year-old. You know, right. like, that's not what I meant by young. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we jump in here in verse 17. Uh, it says... As Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up, knelt down before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus whips back and says, why do you call me good? All right, hold up, hold up. So this man asked Jesus how he can be saved. Then Jesus responds with the question about good. So Jesus addresses the concept of good. Is is Jesus good? Is God good? Like, yeah, and and then we look at that, and we're kind of like, man, this question still seems pretty relevant when we're asking just what what is good, like how how does culture see the term good? So, how have you seen it, Ryan, with like looking at our current culture and how we ask kind of the same question of like, you know, what do you what do you call good? Yeah. Um- so I guess this saying our culture, we kind of thrive on this cancel culture mentality nowadays where it's like our, as a society, we are determining what's good and what's bad. We're becoming the people that are just like, like the whole Dr. Seuss thing, like perfect example. We try to be the judge executioner of like good and bad. And it seems like we keep trying to raise the bar, like the bar of good is um, evolving and changing every day because things are getting more different stuff like that um but it's never really like a set set thing it's always 
moving. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I've definitely seen that as well. It's like, it feels like good is always moving. The concept of good. And when we're like close enough, it's like gone. And, and I was like processing this um, a lot and Ryan and I were talking about it. And when I was processing our culture's idea of like what good is or like the concept of goodness, uh, this is the metaphor that came to my mind. So I have a video for all of you. We got a video. Oof. Did anyone else feel that? <laughs> it was painful. Man, uh, that was always honestly why I never did pole vaulting uh, while I was in track for the one year I was in. Uh, but uh, that was super painful. And that's kind of uh, what it feels like when we're watching other people try to reach the standard of good right? It's, it's just painful to watch people miss the mark. It's really painful to see people uh, biff it and uh, everyone sees it, right? Right. Did you do track and field, Ryan? I did, but it was one time and it was in middle school. We had like a track rally day type deal. Never did it again. Nothing wrong with track and field if y'all are into that. I, it's just not my cup of tea. Yo, but I, I had a lot of friends growing up who did it. And um, yeah, the pole vaulting was like the one event I just wouldn't watch because of stuff like we watched. <laughs> it's just cringy. that fear of, I don't know, getting destroyed or something, man. It was just, no thanks, not for me. Right. <laughs> so if, any, if anyone did track and field, you should drop in the chat what you did. I'm kind of curious. Real mad respect. I don't, I, don't, I don't know if we have a lot of track and field people, but we might. Never I did it for one year and I ran one race and that was sufficient for me. All field things. Oh my goodness. Oh, matters. Yep. Out of respect. Long Okay. But this is okay. This is okay. That's pretty dope. Yeah. So like when we look at pole vaulting, that bar that you see go like, you know, that's horizontal that they're trying to hop over. And we see that uh, it's it's called a crossbar. Oh, yeah, I forgot. Jonathan ran track at the Empire State Games. It's true. True deal. 
Um, it's, it's called a crossbar or just the bar. And so that's the bar that the pole vaulters are aiming to vault over. And, and that's why I just see that as a connection because throughout time and geography, the line of goodness has like constantly changed and like the crossbar continues to move. And uh, even, even when you go into different cultures, you see some things that are good to us are bad to other cultures. And even from household to household, we see that some things are good. Um, and then your neighbor actually doesn't see this and see that same thing is good, right? We see this happen with looking at the president, looking at different schools, looking at people's majors, looking at the death sentence, even looking at mint chocolate chip. Some people see that as bad. It's a shame that they do. It's great. <sighs> Disappoints me, but it's fine. It's fine. So my point with this idea that culturals or that culture's idea of goodness is like a bar connects back to the rich young ruler when Jesus is addressing the concept of good. Because when Jesus asks this question back, he's actually addressing the universal struggle of the bar. Jesus is asking, why are you calling me good when that concept is constantly moving? See, Jesus knew and knows what the rich young ruler is really asking. And Jesus, typical Jesus, classic Jesus move, right? He answers the heart behind the question. And he says, what is good enough? That's what you're asking. What is good enough? Yeah, but haven't we all asked that question before? You know, what is good enough? I know in my life, I've had to ask that when it turns to like school. And I, I played a lot of sports growing up. So it was constantly like constantly having to self-evaluate of looking at the other people next to me and saying, am I good? What is good enough? Am I good enough to, to beat these other people and make it onto the team? Am I good enough to stay on the team or in school? Like, am I good enough to get a higher grade than these other people in my class or even in, in mm. my home life? Like, am I good enough for my parents? And what I'm, is what, I, is what am I, is what I'm doing? Um, good, good. You know, like that kind of stuff, just a lot of self-reflection usually comes out of a place of, um, like struggle or, or approval mm-hmm. we're constantly wanting to feel loved and get that approval but sometimes we don't get that but that's just my struggle with it i'm not sure if any of you guys have struggled with it but yeah i know for sure um i have and that's been something that the lord's brought up you know in my life recently too um of realizing like my response to when i don't feel good enough is usually like anger. I get frustrated. I'm like, I can't handle, you know, and Jesus has really taken the time. And, uh, you know, I remember writing this all down in one of my journal things of like really evaluating the impact of asking that question and feeling that, um, am I good enough? Um, you know, and, and so I guess the question really is like, that's how it plagues us. You know, how does that question plague you guys in your life? You know, do you, do you feel like you're not good enough for your parents' approval and love? Do you feel like you're not good enough for real deep relationships? Do you feel like you're not good enough for God to speak to you or for God to use you? Do you feel not good enough to even have a significant other or to feel like you even deserve to sometimes even exist, right? And, and the challenge too is our world and culture tries to answer this really heavy question, this spiritual question with uh, this self-help motivation that says you're good enough. You know, you see it on coffee cups, you see it on, you see it on shirts, you see it on canvases that you hang in your room. You're good enough. You are enough. 
when reality, um, this really isn't true on your own. And, you know, this has been a challenging concept to even wrap my mind around, like for, for like years. And it was really just recently when it was like, you know, I was talking with Jonathan and having some conversation with really coming to grips and understanding, you know, the Bible says that we're not good enough without Jesus. And so just think about right now, right? A lot of us deal with that tension. Think about just the standards that you set for yourself in your life. Think about all the high ones that you've had to grieve, that you've been disappointed in, right? Because do you meet them all? Heck no. No, right? Do you, Ryan? I know I don't. I don't. Mm-mm. Like, Ryan and I bond over that a lot. It's a good time. So you don't even consider, like, we don't, you know, you don't even consider yourself good enough. I don't consider myself good enough when I'm in my head, right? Even if I try to say it. So even when someone on the outside is like, yeah, I'm a good person. I'm good. I'm doing good, right? They're still internally struggling with that dialogue. Are you really good enough? Because we know that we're still falling short of our own expectations, no matter how hard we try. And the more we try to focus on it, the more we end up unraveling and falling apart. And then we end up being that person laying on the ground with the proverbial pole vault just snapped in half as we're just laying there in pain because we realize we're not able to make it over the bar. And so if nothing we can do is enough, is good enough, if our pole vaults keep breaking and the bars keep moving up and down, then what's our answer? Because for humanity, we see goodness is a line. Goodness is the bar that, the pole, that we as pole vaulters are trying to you know, go over. But what if goodness wasn't like pole vaulting at all? What if goodness wasn't a line to, to cross but a, or a bar to achieve? And then, it, but Jesus, you know, that, that's the biggest statement here. At this point, Jesus shatters the whole concept of goodness in one statement, just one statement that would separate Christianity from every other religion in existence. Mm. You, you can think of a religion right now, aside from Christianity, and Jesus in one sentence separates and shatters that concept of goodness from that religion with what Jesus establishes. And it's in verse 18. He says, no one is good except God alone. So type in the chat just for this memory, none good but God. You just say none good but God. And so, you know, we're still sitting here and we're like, well, what what is good, right? We as a Western culture, I haven't pulled the typical pastoral moment when I'm like, well, the Greek definition of good or, Mm. you know, the, the Bible says good means this. Uh, now's kind of the time hit it, Ryan. What does good actually mean? All right. So let's unpack the cultural significance of the rich young ruler calling Jesus good. Um, this is critical because the passage of scripture is a primary argument that Muslims use to refute Jesus. However, Jesus never denies his deity. He in turn challenges the young ruler's belief. There is no instance in the whole Talmud of a rabbi being addressed as good master. Only God was called good by ancient rabbis. 
So the t- this title of good was never applied to any other rabbis in Jesus' day because it implied sinlessness, like perfect, a complete goodness. Jesus and everyone else recognized that he was being called by a unique title. So we actually see that Jesus challenges the man. Does the man really believe that Jesus is God? Because if so, he has the authority to answer that question regarding eternal life. E. Bickerstaff paraphrases the Lord in this way. I think TJ is going to drop this in the chat. So if you call me good, believe that I am God. For no one is good, intrinsically good, but God. Man, that's huge. For real. And that really hits our main point of what we are communicating tonight is that uh, the the definition, I'll drop this in here too, the, the main point of what we're saying is that the definition of good is a divine person of Jesus Christ, mm. right? Goodness is not, um, goodness is a person. It's not pole vaulting. Mm. And throughout all cultures, we see it as pole vaulting. They see it as pole vaulting when Jesus flips it upside down and said, no, goodness is actually a person. Goodness is a person. And then we see in response, the rich young ruler tries to justify his goodness with all his actions. Verse 19, he, the ruler, the rich young ruler says, um, LOL. Um, my bad. So uh, Jesus responds back to the rich young ruler. He says, you know, the commands do not murder, do not commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't defraud, honor your father and mother. And the ruler says, well, teacher, I've kept all these from my youth. He's basically saying, I've done good all of my life. And Jesus follows this line of thought because he sees the rich young ruler saying, well, I've done good. So I should inherit eternal life, right? It's because I've been doing good. So Jesus follows that with the merit of eternal life, this concept. And he tells him to go to the extreme. Jesus says, do it all then. Fine. Jesus addresses in this moment and tries to get him to understand that it's impossible to be sinless on your own. It's impossible to pole vault over that bar of goodness because it's not, it's not existent. It's not a line, but it's a person. It's God in flesh and it's Jesus who's sitting right in front of him. Mm. And he attempts to show this to the rich young Euler by compassionately confronting him with his idol of wealth. And so that's where we see him in verse 21 says, looking at him, meaning like Jesus really saw him says, looking at him, Jesus loved him. And he said to him, you lack one thing. This is his, okay, fine. Let's go all in then. Mm -hmm. If you really believe this, then you should go and sell all that you have and give to the poor. And then you'll have, and you'll have treasure in heaven and then come follow me. But then it says he was dismayed by this demand and he, w- he went away grieving because he had many possessions. Jesus was simply trying to strip him of the identities that he, that the young ruler really believed was going to get him into eternal life. And Jesus tried to show him, you can't do this on your own. You cannot earn eternal life by by holding on to wealth, by holding on to power. And we see how Jesus stripped away and said, well, give everything away and step out of position and follow me. And Jesus, again, was just simply, simply trying to show him you cannot pole vault, but God is the essence of goodness. 
that the goodness of God was in person, was a person and is able to save. And so reading through this, I've read this multiple times. I don't know how many of you guys have read this as well, um, like through throughout your years of your life. But the saddest moment uh, for me is, is, is his response, which isn't even verbal. It's what scripture says, because the man realizes that he cannot achieve this on his own, mm. which the, was the whole point of what Jesus was trying to do was getting him to understand you cannot inherit eternal life on your own. But instead of looking outward to Jesus, right, he's still sitting at Jesus's feet. He decides to look inward and he crumbles right in front of the one who could save him. He withers with hopelessness. And that just breaks my heart to think how close he was to the goodness of God. Mm. And he walked away grieving because he couldn't take that next step of understanding. You're right. It's Jesus. It is God sitting in front of me who defines what good is and can save me. But he looked back to his idol of wealth, of security, of power, of, of what he has earned. And he walks away grieving. And I know none of y'all here tonight want to be that rich young ruler, right? Hands up. No, my hand's not even up. I mean, it was, but just as an example. No, <laughs> heck no. But you know, I, I believe that this is why God has laid this message on my heart and why Ryan and I are talking about this. Because for some of you, um, even tonight, wealth might not be your struggle. It could be pleasure. It could be fame. It could be comfort. It could be approval. It could be power. It could be control. Mm. These, these things sitting in front of you at the center of your life could cause you to miss the goodness of Jesus when he's trying to show you really what it looks like to experience eternal life with him. And so, um, it's just this point that we, we, we learn to understand. Um, this is also what blew my mind reading scripture. And so I'm just going to word it my own way than what I had written, which is my own way still, <laughs> but, um, it blew my mind because Jesus then says, okay, fine. Let go of your idols. And the man can't. Mm -hmm. Not even our own soul efforts on our own soul, like on our own efforts, can we destroy the idols in our lives? We think we can. We're like, fine, we're going to cut this out. We're going to stop doing this. We're going to try blah, 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 blah. And Jesus is still saying, no, 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 no. You're still missing it. It's me. I'm the one who helps you get rid of those idols. I'm the one that when you cling on to me, you naturally let go of these other things that are at the center of your life. And we just can't do it on our own. And that's why, you know, Jesus reiterates that in Matthew five, blessed are the poor in spirit for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. It isn't until we believe that we are genuinely poor, that we are genuinely incapable of pole vaulting over that bar of goodness, that moment, that moment is when we are poor in spirit and inherit the kingdom of God, because that's when Jesus meets us to say, it's been me all along. I'm good. I am good. And I make you good. So now you don't have to strive to be good. 
It now is a response of being with me. And it's only found in that identity of Jesus Christ and nothing more and nothing less. Mm. All right. So great word, TJ. Now we're going to look and break this down practically. So there's three points here. I'm going to unpack each point, um, give a real life example. If I use that point and then some practical tips that you guys can apply for your own lives. So the first point, the goodness of God releases pressure. We no longer have to expend emotional, mental, physical, and spiritual energy trying to lift ourselves to an impossible standard that we'll never reach. Um, for myself, this um, point looks like reminding myself that God's goodness is the one thing that can make me whole realizing that all my own efforts will never be enough. Just reminding myself that God's goodness is going to be the one that's going to complete that hurt and anguish and fill that void that I'm placing on myself from trying to um, push the whole weight of the world on my own shoulders. Um, some practical ways that you can allow yourself to get in this mindset is one, taking these, this feeling of anger and heartache right to God right away, um, if you can. Um, another way is through breath prayers. So these are things that you could just breathe out and speak out when you're going through a situation that's causing you this pain or anguish. Um, let me look, pull up it in my Bible. Um, the verse that I used was 1 Corinthians 16, 34, I believe. Yeah. Mm. Um, which talks about I know for mine, releasing the pressure was, um, my breath prayer was in you alone, I find rest. Mm -hmm. And that really relieved a lot of pressure uh, for me in those moments where I felt like I wasn't enough. And I felt like there was just so much overwhelming me. I mm -hmm. knew in that moment that I was like, the goodness of God just releases that pressure to know that like in him alone, I find that rest in that peace. All right. I can't find the verse I referenced, but I'll eventually get it out to you guys at some point if I do get back to it. Um, the goodness of God is a personal relationship. Um, spending intentional time. Actually, read the post. Sorry. Understanding the nature of good comes down to getting to know him, not engaging with some cold and personal rule set. So um, making that intentional time to really get to know our father, placing that time aside, um, whatever that looks like, whether that's um, for me personally, it's engaging in worship and prayer, scripture. Some people, it's silence and meditation. My advice is find what works best for you. Set that time aside. And then I have nothing to fear, nothing to prove, and nothing to hide. When you're, when you're talking to God, these are just some thoughts that should be going in your head. You have nothing to fear. You're talking to your father who already knows everything about you. So what are you afraid of? Nothing is too big for God to hear or listen to. Nothing to prove. You have nothing to prove to him. Your salvation is enough for him. You, you are reaching out to him for help. That's, you don't have to prove anything to him. Nothing to hide. You have no, no fear. He already knows what's going on. So if you try to hide it, he's going to snip it out like that. So why, why bother hiding? Being open and honest with God is, in developing that personal relationship is what's going to really help, help reiterate that point. Mm -hmm. And the last one, the goodness of God is perfectly simple. It comes down to our recognition of his authority and our trust in his identity. The goodness of God is perfectly simple. It's not a complex math equation with a bunch of formulas you're going to have to use and to find the answer. You know, 
It just comes down to us giving up control, giving up that urge to say, I can do this instead of letting God take control of it. Um, for me, that means reminding myself where our true identity is founded and that's in God. You know, we can, we can do all we want on earth and make ourselves big, but that, that's not, in the end, that's not going to get us anywhere. Um, some advice that you could use, some practical advice, um, writing down this point on a sticky note or on your phone screen, giving yourself that constant reassurance that the goodness of God is perfectly simple. So I think, yeah, right now we're going to break up into breakout groups, answer yeah. some, some questions. Yeah, yeah, we know this was, um, oh, computer's wigging out. Um, some good stuff to process through. So we wanted to take the time to uh, break up into smaller groups and uh, go through three questions. So your, uh, the life group leaders in each group will have um, these three questions that you can unpack. And then um, at 7.55, we'll come back and uh, we will have the announcements to close um, the evening. So, cool.